Amen. Jethro comes to Rephidim, Exodus 18, 13 through 23. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. And the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he says, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and, my, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what you're doing is no bueno, I mean, no good. You and the people with you will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you, for you're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. That would, that would be like immediate turnoff in our culture today. I will give you advice, and God be with you. You shall represent the people before God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. And so it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. Now, if you remember last time we were looking, uh, there was a battle with the Amalekites. Moses was on the mountain holding up his hands. Joshua was in the valley uh, fighting with the army. And you might think, well, Joshua was... Uh, had the most important role. Actually, no, he had a very important role, but we learned that without Moses, Joshua was doomed. The Israelites were doomed. So Moses is very important. After the battle with the Amalekites, the Israelites continued to camp at this place called Rephidim. If you'll remember, we learned from the other message that the name Rephidim means to spread or to support. We learned that as the Israelites were being attacked by the Amalekites, some organization began to take place to deal with with the challenges. First, we saw that Joshua was given responsibility for the physical battle, while Moses took responsibility for the spiritual battle. Second, we saw some more organization coming about on Moses' side. We witnessed how he now had somehow recruited some people to assist him in his responsibilities. So the camp was now having to become organized or structured in a way to facilitate Moses in fulfilling the God-given mission, mission, unless you think it's about Moses, his mission was to get the people to their inheritance. So it wasn't just about Moses. Third, we also learned that while organization is necessary to facilitate the mission, it's always at the service of the mission. The mission should always be at the forefront, not the organization that is there to support the mission. In other words, it's the wine, not the wineskin. What we often tend to do is we make the structure the primary purpose instead of the mission. Well, this is the way we've done it. This is the way we're doing it. This is the way we're always going to do it. Because this is the way you do church. Well, this is the way we've done church, but it doesn't necessarily mean that's the way you do church or anything in life. Okay? So in a way, we might say that the structure or the organization itself invariably becomes the mission and the goal is somehow, if we're not careful, becomes to perpetuate the organization. And getting back to our text, we want again, once again see Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, spending some time with Moses 
in what was now becoming his daily responsibilities as the leader of the people. While here, Jethro was witnessing how things were unfolding in the camp and recognizing a problem with the way things are functioning, he proceeds to give Moses what will turn out to be some very much needed godly wisdom. So first of all, what is the situation? What is happening? Well, uh, as we read just prior, Moses is sitting down to judge the people, and they're all around him. They're coming to him from morning until evening, and when Moses' father-in-law saw that he was doing, he said, no bueno, no bueno. Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said, because the people come to me to ask and inquire of God. Well, so while they're here, Jethro is witnessing the way things are functioning, and I believe has some God-given advice to share with Moses. Now, how many of y'all know that sometimes God, God's godly advice doesn't always come straight from God? The Bible says in a multitude of counselors there is wisdom. Wisdom is from God, but many times you'll find that God's wisdom that he wants to share with you will come through other people. And listen, sometimes... God's wisdom comes through other people that may not even be saved. Now you think I'm not telling you something biblical, it is. Because there was a king that went out to fight one of the Egyptian pharaohs that was moving through his territory, and the pharaoh said, I'm not here to fight with you. I just got to go meet this other person. Leave me alone. But the king of Israel would not listen, the Bible says, to the word of the Lord coming through Pharaoh. So you got to be open to hear because God is kind of, he's, he's kind of the way he works, you know. Sometimes I'll ask God a question and all of a sudden I'll, I'll, I'll be walking around and somebody will say something. I said, why did I say that? Where'd that come from? That was what I was talking to God about. Well, you have to be open to realize that maybe God is answering your question through somebody else. And they might not even realize what they're doing, okay? So... God is using Jethro to give Moses some much-needed advice. And by the way, Jethro's name can mean excellence and or abundance. By the way, let me just stop here because I don't know. This is not having anything, anything to do with the message. But this morning I said, God, show me a, a book. Because I'm very, the way I do things, I go from front to back, front to back. I don't skip around. I don't really like to do that. Very ritualistic in the way I do things. Not in a bad way. Very habitual. And I said, well, Lord, I, I want to have a book that I can study, you know. And, or I want to have a place, something you want me to study. So I opened up my computer screen, and for some reason I paid attention to my, uh, whenever I turn my um, uh, computer program, I have a really nice Bible program that I turn it off and turn it back on. It always comes to a certain place. And for some reason today it struck me that it hit where Elijah was confronting the prophets of Baal. And I was studying the passage, and I thought, why am I noticing this now? It comes up all the time. I remember asking the Lord, show me something that you want me to know. And so I was reading through that, and this reminded me, I really believe that, that the word of the Lord is, there is coming a sound of an abundance of rain. I just, I believe that. I, I don't know how, I don't know why. I just feel like there is a sound of abundance coming. Now listen. When Elijah prophesied that, there was famine in the land. There was no crops being grown for the next harvest season. There was nothing. Rain had not fallen for three and a half years. 
radar was not showing signs of rain. The European models and the American models were all saying no rain for the next foreseeable future. What changed? What changed was Elijah heard the future that God had prepared for them. Now, how many of you know the Bible says uh, we are supposed to pray, Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, what you may, I'm, I'm going off on a tangent. You've got to help me get back here. But how many of you know that oftentimes the will of God is our future? It's not what's happening in our present. Because oftentimes if we weren't pursuing the will of God, if we're happy with our present, we're, we just keep doing what we're doing. But we're pursuing the will of God, and God shows us our, uh, his desire for us, and that is our future. But our future is not yet present. And we get confused because we hear our future, but we look for it in the present, and when we don't see it in the present, we nullify our future. Because we don't accept it because it doesn't match up our senses. It doesn't match with what I see, what I hear. It doesn't matter with what's happening. It doesn't match with, match with what uh, the reporters and the media, uh, what the administration, it doesn't match what anybody is saying. It doesn't match what all the other churches are saying. It doesn't matter. It doesn't match, but I know I heard from God. So if it doesn't match what I heard, what we often do is we negate what God said. Just like the Israelites negated God's will for their lives, their future, by looking at what was their present. And their present didn't match up with what God said was their future, so they negated their future by believing that their present was more uh, 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 important than their future. Okay? So when Elijah heard the word of the Lord, what he heard was God's, God's future for them. And what Elijah began to do is he began to speak the, his future. He began to speak the future of God. He began to declare what was yet in the future as if it were present. And that's what makes us foolish sometimes as people. I was going to say this at the beginning. I, 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 don't, I don't want you to take it the wrong way, but some of us need to stop watching YouTube. Listen, a lot of these guys that are, that are quote-unquote conservative, recognized teachers, they only live in the present. They live in the past and they live in the present and anything that talks about prophesying your future is negated. And so anybody that's living by faith for the future, uh, they, they tend to want to bring them down and if we want to be acceptable to the mainstream, we will allow them to talk us out of our future. Turn them off. Now, we're not calling them heretics. We're just saying, turn that off. Listen to what God says. And don't let anybody talk you out of what God is saying to your life. And then when God speaks to you, begin to speak the word of God that he is showing you. Because unless you're willing to declare it, what you will find is it will not manifest. And you might say to yourself, God is sovereign. God can do whatever he wants. You're absolutely right. He can do whatever he wants, but what he wants is for us to come into agreement with his word so that he can manifest his word in us and through us.
which means you're going to have to learn to live by faith. And living by faith is not living by what I see, but by what he says. And Elijah said, I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. In the middle of a drought, this is what I hear. And he tells the king, go eat and feast because it's about to rain. And whereas the king before wanted Elijah's head because of what God had done by sending the fire, now the king was willing to listen to the word of the Lord. I'm trying to find a way I can get back to my message. So when the king went to eat, Elijah did not leave things there. He went up on the mountain and he began to pray that what God showed him and what he declared would now manifest. And by the way, if you go to the book of James, the Bible doesn't say that he prayed that it would rain. He prayed that it wouldn't rain because the word of the Lord that came to him was it would not rain. And so Elijah didn't just say it and leave it. He interceded that the word of the Lord that God had showed him would manifest. And he prayed for three and a half years that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain because he continued to pray in agreement with what God had showed him. And here's why oftentimes, even though we may hear what God is saying, and we may believe what God is saying, and start sharing what God is saying, we don't always come into agreement and pray out what God has said in our lives. That's what I think y'all were talking about, praying. we got to pray it out. How long do we pray it out? until we begin to see the manifestation of it or until God says, you don't have to pray anymore, it's done. But I think I hear the sound of an abundance of rain. And I believe it's important to declare it. What kind of rain? The rain of the Spirit. We've been praying for double. It's coming. We had the word of the Lord. We've been praying the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is coming. Right? May not look real big right now. <laughs> you better start running. Because it's coming. All right. Oh. Abundance. Jethro's name means excellence and or abundance. So to me, what we can extrapolate from this is that Jethro's advice, if followed, will produce excellence in the ability to facilitate the mission and would also produce an atmosphere of abundance. Getting back to the name Rephidim, the place where the Israelites were still camped, the name again means to spread out and to support. So reasoning from this, we can gather that if the proper support is put in place, and here we're equating support with structure and organization, a wineskin, if you will, it will give the people every opportunity to spread out, which we could rephrase to say is to grow. To me, that once again speaks of creating an atmosphere or climate that can handle what is coming and allowing room for growth that in turn leads to abundance. That's the situation. What is the evaluation? Moses' father-in-law says, Moses, you're not doing good right now. Now, we didn't really get into what was happening yet in the camp, but to understand Jethro's evaluation, we've got to do so now. The day after Jethro arrived, Moses sat down doesn't mean that he simply sat down. 
but rather he took his seat in an official position as a leader at the place where he would decide legal cases. When it's talking about settling disputes, it wasn't, she hit me and he hit me, and, and, and it wasn't that. It was legal, uh, lawful, that necessitated God's will and God's word to be able to bring a resolution to the problem. So it's, it's not the same. Uh, it's, it's, it's akin to our present-day courtroom situation. But in many cultures today, it's similar to people coming to a chief to settle disputes among themselves. So the text suggests that Moses was kept busy from morning till night with the people standing around waiting their turn. And when Jethro saw what was happening, talked to Moses about what he was doing. And Moses informs Jethro that the people come to him and he helps them to find the mind of God uh, on what needed to be done. What the Bible emphasizes here is that Jethro's problem with the situation was not so much in what was being done, but how Moses was doing it. When he saw, uh, uh, the Bible says in Exodus 18 and 14, all that he was doing, he said, what is this that you're doing for the people? Why do you sit, and here's the key word, alone? Can you say that word alone with me? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. So Jethro was pinpointed the real problem, and the real problem was Moses was doing all the work by himself. And he said, what you're doing is not good. You're going to wear yourself out, and not only that, it's not going to be good for the people. So Jethro tells Moses his honest evaluation of what he'd seen Moses doing, and he tells Moses that what he's doing is not going to uh, uh, bring about any kind of uh, abundance in the situation that, that, that they're, they're having. It's actually going to uh, work to their demise. So the word good has a broad meaning that needs to be narrowed by the context. The gist of what Jethro is telling Moses is you're not acting wisely. This isn't the best way to do things. Now, here's the thing about that. So if you're used to doing something, you're not always interested in learning how to do something better because you already know how to do it. It reminds me of the lady that was teaching her daughter how to cook a roast. She took the roast and she cut off one end and she cut off the other end and she put it in the oven and she cooked it that way. And the daughter said, why are you cutting off the ends? He said, well, that's how you're supposed to cook a roast. And she said, I don't think so. Yes, my mother taught me to do the same. So she called her mom. Mom, when you cook a roast, aren't you supposed to cut off one end on the other end? She said, yeah, that's how my mother taught me. And so grandma was still alive. And so they finally called grandma and they said, grandma, uh, we know that when you cook a roast, you're supposed to cut off the ends. Why do you do that? She said, well, to be honest with you, my oven was too small. So in order to fit the roast in the oven, I had to cut off one end and then the other end so we could cook it. We don't always know why we do things. But sometimes there's better ways of doing things. But in order to embrace a better way, you have to be willing to let go of what you're presently doing. But most of the time, and I'm just like you, don't tell me what to do. You can't tell me what to do. Well, what if you're doing it wrong? It don't matter. I'm doing it. Jethro proceeds to tell him why this will become problematic if things don't change. First, Moses cannot handle the incredible workload alone as it would task him and wear him out physically 
and mentally. Second, the people's strength would also fail. That is, their patience would wear out pretty quickly if, it continued, if things continued the way that they were. They would not last long if they had to wait all day waiting to get a hearing so they could find a resolution to their problem. In other words, there is some grace and patience from the people right now, but it won't last forever. At some point, they're going to have to. St they're going to start getting frustrated with the way they have to go about doing things to settle their much-needed answers to their present problems. And when they do, they're going to turn on you, and the present peace and rest that you're experiencing will quickly fade away. So Joseph Jethro suggests a, a better way, and that's his advice. He said, "I'm going to give you some advice, and may God be with you. You're going to re represent the people before God and bring their cases to God." And you're going to warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. But then you're going to find able men, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe and place such men over the people as cheese with thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Now, do you see how his workload is now becoming coming a lot lighter? Because now he's got chiefs over thousands and under them chiefs over hundreds and under them chiefs over tens, right? And then he says, let them judge the people at all times. And then, when they can't figure it out, then they can come to you. Right? Jethro did not suggest that Moses discontinue judging or that he stop serving as a representative or that he leaves off being God's spokesman to teach the people. The people surely needed someone to show them how to live and the duties that are performed, and Moses was that person. What Jethro believed uh, to represent God's will was a trustworthy official order to facilitate the needs of the people. Leaders needed to be chosen who would then be organized in such a way that the people could attain the answers to their problems much more readily. Now, the people also had to, to, to get to a place, and they all accepted it. It's like, no, if I don't talk to Moses, I, I, I need to talk to Moses, and if it ain't Moses, it ain't good enough. Right? And it's got to be in some ways we've got to let go of that well if the pastor doesn't talk to me and the pastor doesn't call me and the pastor doesn't do it then it's not good enough can i tell you something there's a lot of people that are much more capable than i am at some of the things that you need and you say well we're not that big you're right but we're not preparing for what we are now we're preparing for where we're going and to be honest with you when i need an answer to a problem i don't talk to myself <laughs> I go talk to some of you because y'all know y'all are smart y'all are wise you know things that I don't know now oftentimes like I said God will show me but a lot of times the way God shows me is through you and if I said well you're beneath me you're lower than me I'm not going to get any or you're not in a place I'm not going to understand that God is using you we are, we are all equally valued and equally used by God now, I have, I have a greater authority because of the position that I hold, but with that position comes a lot of responsibility, and I understand that I'm not above you. I'm actually underneath you trying to hold and, and help lift you up. I understand that. We need to understand that as well. So it's, it's not about, hey, this is the way it has to be. It is about understanding that God wants us to grow, but in order to grow, we all have a part to play, and we've got to be willing to change. All right? So what Jethro was bringing to the forefront was organization and structure. What was the purpose? 
The real purpose of Jethro's proposal, and I gotta, I gotta move faster here, so I won't, uh, but let me, I think I can get it down. Exodus 18, 22 through 23. And let them judge the people at all times. Every great matter they'll bring to you, but any small matter they'll decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all these people also will go to their place in peace. So what was the real purpose of Jethro's proposal to bring organizations to the camp? The purpose for the organization was to facilitate the move of God, which would lead to continued growth and eventually lead to abundance. And was there a move of God going on? Absolutely. The whole millions of people were brought out of Egypt, out of bondage, uh, into freedom. And they were being discipled. And they were growing and they were multiplying and good things were happening. But in order to facilitate the good things that were happening, to learn the will of God, the ways of God, to, to how do I apply it to my family? How do I apply it to my finances? How do I apply it to my, to my faith? How do I apply it to my walk? How do I apply it to everything that I'm doing in life? How do I apply this? Well, sometimes you've got to have counsel. You've got to have advice. You've got to have people talk to you. And what Joseph is saying is that, Moses, you, you, you're doing a good thing, but you've got to spread the workout. And we're doing a good thing, but now we have to spread the workout. You don't have to have a title. You just have to function. Right? Be open and available. One of the things that we teach in our new members class is everyone should be growing someone. Everyone should be growing someone. And our culture today, church culture today, is not about what I can do. It's about what others can do for me. But biblically, that won't work. We may be able to grow a big place with lots of people, but God's not interested in just growing a big place with lots of people. God's interested in growing people. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And the way you grow people is by letting them be used, by letting them grow, by letting the gifts of God that they have. Well, they're, they're going to mess up. Well, <laughs> They're going to be just like me. I mess up all the time. I got three witnesses. My wife, my daughter, and my other daughter. <laughs> They'll tell you. I don't do things right all the time. So anyway, we've got to have a, a, a change is coming, but it's going to be for the good. It's going to be to facilitate what, what God is doing. Let, let me, let's just say it this way. How many of y'all enjoy the worship team? Right? It's a very practical way. What are you going to do when we go to two services? What's going to happen when we go to three services? Right? Well, Anna Jo has to play all the services. Pastor Rick has to preach at all the services. Well, I can tell you one thing. That ain't happening. I ain't going to preach at three, four, or five services every Sunday. Why would I do that when I got plenty of capable preachers? Well, it's not you. That's right. There are other people that have wisdom. There are other people that are used of God. And we grow when we realize that God doesn't just want to work through one person. He wants to work through all. So one is we have to be willing to let people be used. And two, we have to be willing to let those that are being used to minister to us. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. So, uh, there's a guy named Rick Joyner who wrote a book, Apostolic Ministry, and he wrote this. He said, Will Durant, he's quoting somebody, had the following observation. Caesar sought to change men by changing institutions. 
Jesus changed institutions by changing men. The gospel is not about building an institution, but about building men. When the true wine of the true gospel is preached, it will burst out of the institutions that men build like new wine would burst out of an old wineskin. The true gospel creates a life too powerful to be contained in our pitiful little structures. This does not mean that the church should not have structure and order, but it must be one which is utter, utterly flexible if it is to contain the true wine of the Spirit. We must let the life produce the structure, not the structure produce the wine. Thank you.